The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us his light. You may be seated. Together and praying. 
The grace of God our Father that brings salvation to all men has appeared. Blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Our Heavenly Father who has loved the world to send Your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to seek and to save the lost. We give thanks to You today for the grace by which He laid aside His glory and came among us as a servant of ours, meek and lowly, the friend of sinners and the companion of poor. We remember with joy that it was the common people who welcomed Him gladly, and the multitudes sang and praised Him with palm branches and songs. Grant us, Lord, the grace this day to join with all of our hearts together in the spiritual triumph of the Prince of Peace. May we proclaim You as Lord and bow before You. And Lord, we pray as You pour out Your Spirit upon us, we pray that You would. We pray, Lord, that we would hear the Gospel, that we would believe by Your Spirit. And Lord, we pray, joining our hearts together, saying the prayer that You taught Your disciples to pray out loud. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's in the green hymnal you have there on page 845, if you would like to turn there. Because this is a a statement of faith, I'm going to ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance, dear people of God, those who look to the Lord Jesus by faith and see in Him only the righteousness that we are to have before our Heavenly Father. Hear these words of assurance from Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those of the earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's continue to worship now.
take your hymnal and let's sing together hymn number 235, All Glory, Laud, and Honor. can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you all. I wanted to talk with you today, as everybody's coming up and having a seat, there's still some room. I wanted to talk with you today about a, a question that many people uh, in the church and maybe even some people outside of the church have a question about, did Jesus claim to be God? Did He ever say, I am God? Was He confused about it? Anybody? Well, in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, do you remember there's a story about Moses Asking God, can I see you? I'd like to see you. And in Exodus chapter 30, it says that David, or excuse me, that God told Moses, no man can see God and live. So what I'll do is hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I will pass by you. And when I go past you, then I will let you see. I'll uncover your eyes and let you see my glory as it passes by. But nobody can look at the face of God and live. And yet, interestingly, in the book of John, it says that when Philip, one of the disciples, was talking to Jesus, Jesus was talking about the Father, and Philip spoke up and said, Jesus, if you will show us the Father, if you'll let us see Him, it will be enough for us. And does anybody remember what Jesus told Philip? If you have seen me, 
you have seen who? The Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God's people throughout the ages had not seen Him. Who were the last people communing with God in beauty and holiness in His presence? Can you remember? Early, early in the book of Genesis. Who was it? Adam and Eve. And God sent them out of His presence from the garden and put guards there to keep people out. And for ages, when the temple was built, what was put in between the people and God? Guarding angels. There was a, a veil in the temple too. There were different courts and only certain people could go into those. And when Jesus came, He said, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. Jesus came to bring God close to His people. He is God. He said, I am He. When He healed a man who was blind, and He went to the blind man and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he, the blind man said to Jesus, Lord... Show him to me, I'll believe him. And, and he said, I who speak to you am he. These were the words that God told Moses to say to Pharaoh. Who shall I say sent me? And he said, I am who I am. Jesus was saying, I am God. So as we worship today, we worship God in spirit and in truth. We worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I want to pray for you that just as Jesus promised to be with his people, that you would remember that He is with you by His Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank You and praise You that all of the promises You made are sure and good. That none of them that You made, You decided to set aside and to leave. Lord, I pray that You would help our covenant children to know that You are with them. That the promises You made ages ago are still sure and good. And they're for them. I pray, Lord, for their faith, that they would hope and trust in You, especially in this time when it, it seems so difficult, when it would be so easy to say, this Bible is just an old book. And many people around us are saying those words, that God is irrelevant, God is dead. And I pray, Lord, that for our covenant children, You would make them strong in their faith. And I pray, Lord, for those who have not yet made profession of faith in You, that You would... Bring them to yourself at a young age that they would say, Jesus is my Lord. Not just that Jesus is the Lord, but He is my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading together Psalm 123. It's on page 831 in the Green Hymnal. Psalm 123 on page 831. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. I lift up my eyes to you, to you whose throne is in heaven. As the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us. For we have endured much contempt. We have endured much ridicule from the crowd, much contempt from the arrogant. 
At this time, let's stand together and sing uh, hymn number 164, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. mentioned several weeks ago now that one of our missionaries, Joel Brown, who is an RUF ministry associate at South Carolina State University, uh, the first minister of his kind there, um, is going through his ordination trials in the PCA. Our RUF ministers are full-fledged, ordained uh, teaching elders in our denomination. This means they go through the same examinations that a pastor would, and they have the same qualifications. So, Um, His test is going to be on Tuesday this week. He will be going through an oral examination. It will be very thorough and very significant after uh, many hours of doing written exams and uh, trials with a committee. So we want to pray for him today that the Lord would be with him, that he would give him confidence in the answers and the calling that the Lord has placed on his life, that he would have clarity of mind and confidence as he speaks And I also wanted to pray during this time for our brothers and sisters in Nashville, Tennessee at Covenant PCA, for the families that lost loved ones, particularly the the three children and also the three adults who were killed this past week. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the honor and the privilege to come to you, to your throne of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, that we might pray to You, that we can raise up the petitions and the prayers and the concerns of our hearts, the things that weigh heavy on us, 
the things that we carry about with us day in and day out and that no doubt we brought in here with us today. Things that are as yet unresolved in our families, unresolved in our own health and unresolved in our own minds and hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to remember that we pray to a God who hears us and to a God who is with us. You are not aloof from your people. You are with us. You promise to be near the brokenhearted and to bind them up. And Lord, I pray for those in our midst, in our church family, for those who are here and those who are not here this morning, for whatever reason, that you would remind them of your closeness in the midst of their trials and sufferings, especially for those who are going through health concerns and long-term health concerns, and they cry out to you for the grace to continue to trust you, to believe that you are good. And Lord, I pray for those in our church family who are spiritually tired and weary and worn out, who need to hear the blessed voice of their Savior say, come to me and rest, and I will give you rest. Lord, I pray for that spiritual rest for them in you, that this Sabbath day, this Lord's day that you have given us to worship you and to glorify you will be for them spiritual nourishment as they feed upon Christ. And Lord, I do lift up our brothers and sisters at Covenant PCA and Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee. Lord, we are scratching our heads. We're wondering how in the world could this happen? We're wondering, we're angry, we're scared and afraid for ourselves and for our children. Lord, we we wonder, could we be next? And I pray, Lord, by faith, that you would comfort these dear saints of yours at Covenant that you would bless them in worship this morning, that they would know they stand before the living God, that you do take pains and hurts, you take sorrows and suffering. You are with those who grieve, you are with those who rejoice. And I pray, Lord, especially for parents and families who are not able to hug their loved ones today because of this great tragedy. And Lord, we pray knowing that there is no law that this country could pass that would remove evil from the hearts of people. We know that it is only by the power of the gospel that people's hearts are changed. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to look to you and to say and agree with your word. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we do lift up our missionary Joel Brown to you. We pray, Lord, as he goes for examinations on Tuesday, that you would fill him with your spirit, that you would give him great confidence and joy and delight. May it be a time of worship for him as he is examined. Help him to know, Lord, in the midst of the questions and cross-examinations that this is for your glory and for his good. And we pray, Lord, that you would confirm him in this calling and that you would give him joy and delight as he serves on campus at South Carolina State. And Lord, we pray that he would be a light for the gospel there, that people would hear the truth of the gospel and believe and surrender their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things, Lord, knowing that you delight to hear our prayers, that you inhabit the praises of your people, and that you do answer in your sovereign time. In Jesus' name, amen.
want to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the New Testament book of Titus, chapter 2. We're going to be focusing on verses 13 through 15 this morning, but for our scripture reading, we're going to begin in verse 11. So Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. This is the word of the Lord. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God is everlasting and abides forever. This morning we're continuing in our series, Ordinary Christian Living in the book of Titus, and our sermon is entitled, Between Palm Sunday and Glorious Appearing. Two weeks ago, we looked at verses 11 and 12 very closely and saw that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. And He has appeared. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a person. The grace is not something that has come like something you might find at the store. Salvation has come in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. The Father sending His Son, filling Him with His Spirit to accomplish the redemption of His people. This isn't a statement in a vacuum. It doesn't just fall out of the sky onto the pages of our Bibles in this letter that Paul wrote to Titus. This phrase represents the fulfillment of God's ancient promise to His people. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God told the serpent that the seed of the woman will crush your head. Jesus is that seed. Through His glorious resurrection, His defeat of death and our sin, in His perfect sinless life, Jesus defeated Satan, broke our bondage to sin, gave us new hearts for those who believe in Him by faith, and He presents us holy before the Heavenly Father, acceptable in His sight. We are now able to be in relationship with God. The separation is gone. And as Paul spoke about this, he spoke of it throughout all of the New Testament, but particularly in this book of Titus, he speaks with urgency that this is the acceptable day of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. And if you will hear his heart, if you will hear his words, do not harden your hearts. Believe in God and trust in him by faith. It's urgency. And it's not just simply merely transactional. As some of us have heard, we have a debt of sin before the living God. We must be forgiven. And that Jesus came and paid that debt for us. But not only did salvation mean just that. It also means that there is a relational transformation that happens. We who were once enemies with God have now been restored to fellowship with Him. And as we spoke with the children this morning... The awesome privilege that we have to look and to hope for the second coming of our Savior is something that He promised. It's something that God had promised to His people for ages. 
That He would send a Messiah, a Redeemer, one who would bring us to God, a people who had been separated from Him since the Garden of Eden. And it's part of what the beauty of the tabernacle and the temple represented. It's why there were so many intricate details with how the temple was put together, why the Ark of the Covenant meant what it did, why it was filled with what God put in it. It was why God gave His law to show His people, you cannot lightly approach Me. No man can see God and live. He was telling them there must be a Redeemer. You can't do this on your own. Don't lightly approach the living God. You can't live if you do. And because of the work of Jesus, we have new hearts. We see Him as beautiful. Something in our hearts broke in the garden. People who were made to live in the presence of God. When Adam and Eve fell, and we believe we fell with them, their hearts turned away from God and inward to themselves and only focused on pleasing self and and wanting to gratify our own desires. And what Jesus came and did was to turn our hearts back to God. Gave us a new heart. Sees Jesus as beautiful. And when we hear the blessed promises of our God and Father through the Savior, Jesus Christ, we believe them by faith. And it is because of this faith and because of His work in us that we wait in hope. So this morning I want to ask a couple of questions and hopefully look through this text, encourage our hearts, build up our faith by the Lord Jesus Not myself. I can't work faith in you. I can't do that. There's no magical formula. There's no point in me getting upset and stomping or or cheering or clapping up here. Only by the Spirit of God do you believe the truth. And that is the truth. So what is Paul teaching in these verses? In verse 13 to 15, what is Paul teaching? And secondly, how should you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, how should we wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus? How should we wait living between Palm Sunday and the glorious appearing? So number one, what is Paul teaching? He says in verse 12 and verse 13 that the grace of God that brings salvation to all men has appeared. And that it teaches us. The grace of God teaches us how to think. And I think maybe it's helpful to pause for just a moment and say that we believe that we fell, all of us, we fell in Adam. He was our representative family head. And when he fell, something broke in his mind too. It certainly broke in his heart, but it broke in his mind such that we can't think right. I'm not saying that you don't have the permission to. I'm saying that apart from a work of God in you, you can't. You don't have the ability to do it. You need regeneration and the work of the Holy Spirit to transform your mind. Otherwise, you will think about God, about yourself, about pleasures in this world, about tragedies, about everything. You will think about it wrongly. I'm not saying that those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus can't be logical. I'm saying that there is something about the revelation of God that only those who know Him because He's worked in their hearts, because He's changed them, that only those will know. That's the the truth of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18 says that their understanding, those who are not believers, that their understanding is darkened. They are alienated from the life of God. That they live in ignorance of God and they are blind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14, it says the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. 
Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. It is a matter of ability, not permission. Jesus said, whosoever will may come. And that is the free offer of the gospel. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. As we read these verses, as we think about living in this world, one way that we live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age as believers is to live with a certain thing in our mind and in our eyes and in our hearts. It's to look for and wait for our blessed hope. Well, what is it, you say? It's the second coming of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit-inspired biblical truth that we just read. This truth of Jesus' second coming is to be a comfort for all of His people. And it is the culmination of our salvation. But maybe you, like others, would say, well, I just don't know if that's really true. Read the New Testament, it seems like they thought it was going to happen right away. It seemed like they thought it might even be within their own lifetime for some of them. And yet there were people, Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, that he called scoffers. People who would come scoffing in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers died, everything continues as it has been. Nothing is changing. The world is actually getting worse. People are horrible to one another. Where is Jesus and where is His promise? I don't see Him coming. Things aren't getting better. Don't be scoffers, dear children of God. What is this promise of His coming again? He says here very clearly, Paul says, it is our blessed hope and His glorious appearing. The blessed hope means that it is our salvation completely realized. We believe and understand that when when we were justified by faith, God did a work in us that says we are justified as if we had never sinned in His presence. But each of us knows day in and day out, look in the mirror, you know your sanctification is not complete. Maybe even this day you've seen multiple ways and reasons why you know my heart is not pure. My life is not right. Even if if you do believe in the Lord, you know I need His grace and mercy even to get through this service. I'm going to need it or I won't make it. Our salvation is not yet completely realized. We still struggle with sin. We struggle with self. We struggle with pride. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says that the Holy Spirit was given to His people. The Lord Jesus sent the Comforter to us to comfort us and to be a down payment of our salvation. That when you doubt or when Satan would whisper in your ears, you're not really a child of God. A child of God wouldn't live that way. A child of God wouldn't have said that wouldn't have made that remark, wouldn't have thought those thoughts, wouldn't have gone there, wouldn't have talked to those people. The Comforter was sent to you to remind you, you are a child of the living God. You belong to Him. He is a reminder to you that there is yet a payment still to be made. You will know what it is like to be redeemed when Jesus comes again. This is the blessed hope. It means one thing and has several several different facets to it like a prism or like a beautiful diamond. What does it mean that you and I have blessed hope? It means that our old man inside of us, that indwelling sin one day will be gone. The enemy will no longer attack you. 
He will no longer come and try to whisper in your ear. Death will no longer be a threat to you. You will be sanctified finally and completely. You will be in His presence with Him forever. And He loves you. That is a glorious thought. That is our blessed hope. For the believer, there is an inner longing and a burning desire for this to take place. Even creation, the Bible says, waits for this to happen. In Romans chapter 8, verse 23, it says, We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's us, we believers who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. We want to go home. We want to be delivered from these bodies that are racked by sin, consciences that give in to sin, and we are separated right now physically from our Heavenly Father. We groan inwardly, Lord Jesus, come take us home. Romans chapter 8, verse 19 says that creation itself also participates in this. The earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. It groans with labor pains. Creation does. It wants to see the children of God revealed. Who is it that really belongs to the Lord? Who are those who are truly redeemed? There are many who name the name of Christ today. Are they truly the sons of God? Our blessed hope is that when Jesus comes again, He will show who are His. Do you belong to Him? So that's our blessed hope. What is the glorious appearing? What is Paul saying? Are these one and the same thing? Is it two things? The glorious appearing, we believe, according to the Bible, is the visible bodily return of Jesus in full resplendent glory. When Jesus came the first time, it says in the book of Isaiah that there was nothing about Him that would attract us to Him. There was nothing about His form or His face or His features that would draw us to Him. It says in our shorter catechism that He came in humiliation the first time. He was born like all of us. He took on a real body. He struggled with hunger and thirst. He needed to sleep. He came in lowliness. He set aside His glory. And it says that when He comes again, He will come in exaltation. This is yet to be fulfilled. You haven't seen Jesus come yet. No one has seen Him. Acts chapter 1 Verse 11 says, Why are you standing here gazing? This was as Jesus ascended into heaven. This same Jesus, an angel told the people standing there, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him. Every eye will see Him. Upon the revelation of our Savior in full glory, we will be transformed. This has not happened, dear people of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He will even be able to subdue all things to Himself. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, Beloved, now we are the children of God. That's not a statement in a vacuum either. You remember in the Gospel of John chapter 1, 
To everyone who received Him, who believed in Jesus, He gave the right to become the children of God. No longer enemies, no longer slaves, and not even servants. He says, I'm making you children of mine. I bring you into my family. And I sit you at my table. The Bible says that you, as a child of the living God, are an heir to the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are awesome, wonderful words. And I don't believe we can fully comprehend all that they mean for us as His children. We have a blessed hope and a true assurance. A full assurance. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. What we will look like. What will my glorified body look like? What will yours look like? Will I be able to recognize you? Will you recognize me? It says, but we know that when He is revealed, when He comes, and He's coming, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. There will be no more veil. There will be no more wondering. Is that Him? Is this the time of His coming? Is He here? There will be no wondering. And everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself as he is pure. That's why these things are put together in Titus chapter 2. He says, if you hope in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you hope in the power of the resurrection, then it will cause you to live a certain way, knowing that when He comes back, you want to be pleasing in His sight. Everything about who you are and how you live, the way that you think. Not because you're hoping to earn a spot in heaven, that when He comes, He'll find you busy. Kind of like maybe a child who hears their parent coming down the hall and they've been given things to do and they haven't yet done them. And so they know, here comes the parent walking in the room and they're up scurrying around the room. I don't mean that kind of busyness. I mean being busy about it because you know you have delight and joy. My Savior is coming. And it is my joy and delight to serve Him now. And in Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, He said, The Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father. Jesus came the first time and His glory was veiled. He set it aside. It is unimaginable how that could be done. How could a Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, lay aside His glory and come and be questioned and beaten and mocked and ridiculed? And even when they came into town waving palm branches, He knew in the heart of people that these would be the same people that just a few days later would be yelling, Crucify Him! We would rather have a known, convicted felon loose on our streets than let this man live. Crucify Him. Give us Barabbas. We want Him. We don't want the Son of God. Jesus knew that was in the hearts of the people. Over in Luke chapter 21, you say, well, it sounds like you've got a lot of verses to read from Paul, but what about Jesus? Did Jesus ever talk about this? Did Jesus ever say that He was coming back? Did He know? He absolutely did know. And He told them in Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 25, He says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts falling from them in fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. 
Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. There are pangs on this earth. You see them, you know them. Luke 21, beginning in verse 34, Jesus said, But take heed to yourselves, to the way that you're thinking, the way that you're living, the way that you think about God, the way that you think about salvation, the way that you think about lost people. Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day comes on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. These are not things that are theoretical. This is actual. Jesus is coming back. He said He would. He promised He would. And the Bible says clearly we're to remind one another of these things and also to encourage one another with these words. So my second question this morning, how should you wait living between Palm Sunday and the glorious appearing? I want to give you three ways. There's probably a whole lot more, but I want to give you three. Number one, as a pilgrim passing through, believers have a Holy Spirit longing to go home. There's a desire in your heart that the the Lord put there for you that you would not be satisfied with this world. That you would long to be home in heaven with Him forever. Hebrews chapter 11, speaking of those who died in the faith, it says, these all died in the faith, not having received the promise. So all of those people in the Old Testament and even those in the New Testament and some of our family who have died, believing and hoping in the second coming of Jesus, they died not having received the promises but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, For He has prepared a city for them. That's not beautiful poetic language. That's promises to God's people. Promises to His children. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You and I were made for another world. 2 Peter chapter 3 Verse 12 says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. It's okay, dear child of God, that you feel out of place in this world. Do you ever feel like you're just not home? No matter where I go, I can't be settled. Something is missing. I'm, it's just, this isn't right. It's okay. Don't try to salve your conscience and say, I just need to get comfortable. You don't. You were made for another world entirely in which righteousness dwells, Jesus said. So number two, how should you wait? You should wait eagerly and urgently. Believers have a God-given desire to please and see Him. I want to live my life now to please Him. That's what a, a believer says. I can't wait to see Him, a believer says. 
And I'm actively working. And I'm actively waiting. Waiting in the Bible doesn't mean passivity in the face of a fickle future. But a dogged confidence in God and His sure promises. And however remote or bleak the circumstances look, and you might look at the world today and say, it sure doesn't look like Jesus is coming back. I don't see signs of the kingdom. I see signs of death and grief and sorrow and sin and pain and systems that are set up to make it hard for people to love one another. Hard to to see that the differences in us are not something that should be maximized. All I see is hate and anger. I don't see goodness. No matter how bleak the circumstances may be or how unlikely it might seem, they are going to come true. They are the promises of God. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly. And that one little word changes everything. I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give everyone according to His work. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Therefore we make it our aim. This is not just something you aim at. It's not just an activity. It's actually what you're aiming at with your life and with your heart, with your mind and your soul and everything about you. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Martin Luther said, Preach and live as though Jesus was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is returning tomorrow. Preach and live as though Jesus was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is returning tomorrow. And lastly, to you believers who would say, I hear you, I believe it, I'm hoping that I'm living it and pleasing the Lord, but I am weary. How do you wait on the Lord? Number three, don't give up hope. Stay in the fight against the flesh. Continue to mortify your sin. Pray hard. Wipe tears away when you fail. But encourage and stand with one another in the Gospel. He is coming again. It's a fact. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul said, a man who knew suffering, not just physical suffering, not just mental suffering or emotional, but true suffering, he said, I consider that the present sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. He's not just talking about something that you see. He's not talking about entertainment. He's talking about glory in you and me. The glory that the Father chose to give through His Son to you and me, those who hope in Him. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 and 14, Paul said, not that I have already attained. He doesn't believe in perfection in this life. Or that I am already perfected now. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Can you say this, dear believer? Young or old, but particularly those of you who may be gray heads in the room. Those of you whom the days are getting closer and you feel them, you sense them in your own life. Can you say this with Paul? Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to those who love His appearing. I want to finish with one last question. Not do you believe that Jesus is God? Not do you believe in the second coming. 
But are you eagerly awaiting it? Are you hoping for it? Is it in your thoughts? Are you praying about it? Not all day, every day. But every week, do you see your heart going there? Is there a longing and a tug and a pull? I want to go home. I'm not there yet. There's a song that a Christian band, Mercy Me, sings. Almost home. Brothers and sisters, we are almost home. There is one thing for sure about the second coming of Jesus. I'm not going to predict it for you. I don't know when He's coming. He said He's coming quickly. But one thing is for sure. You are one day closer today than you were yesterday. He is coming back. Is He coming for you? Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the sure hope of Your Word. And we rest our hearts and our lives on it. And we pray that You would give us the grace to know that You are coming. Help us to believe. We do believe. Help our unbelief. As the man cried out to You in Mark chapter 9. Lord, we pray that we would not so lightly set aside the promises of God. Lord, I pray that this would be what comforts our souls. This would be what helps us in our sufferings and our sorrows and the griefs that we bear. Lord, I pray for Your people that today they will be built up in their faith because they have looked at Your promises and said they know You are faithful. You will do it. Even if they can't see how, they know that You will. And Lord, I pray for those in this room today who hear me praying right now that if they don't know You, that You would convict their hearts and move them to confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not try to earn salvation from You by doing good things, going out of here and trying to be a better person. Lord, I pray that You would convict their hearts to believe the true Gospel, not to be shackled to sin or to self or this world. And I pray that You would give them gracious deliverance. And I pray, Lord, now as we sing in just a few moments, that we would sing rejoicing to know that our names are written in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together now and respond to God's Word singing hymn number 172, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder.
seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. thank you for the joy and the privilege and the blessing for us that it is to participate in giving to you our tithes and our offerings, a portion of what you have so richly blessed us with. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we give to give with hearts that are full of joy. And I pray that you would help us to give knowing in faith that you are a heavenly father who promises to provide for his children. And Lord, I do pray that you would see our needs met that we would be content with how you provide for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. the benediction of our Lord from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Amen.